Good morning. God's word to us today comes from the book of Judges in the 13th chapter, verses 1 through 5. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man of Zorah, the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This is God's words for us today. You may be seated. Thank you, John. Good morning, everybody. As you can probably tell uh, from the reading of the scripture, we're going to be talking about Samson today. Looking forward to it. Now, uh, we're going to cover four chapters of Scripture, so if you could put another hour on the timer, I'd appreciate it. But what we're going to do is, um, as I've been going through this, uh, open your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, because we're going to be kind of flying through this, taking some uh, brief stops on some areas, um, but it'll be discouraging and encouraging at the same time. So as we see, uh, the book of Judges, what's the theme? It's like Israel, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And when people start doing what's right in their own eyes, it's a continual downward progression. The themes, um, when we're going to be looking at Samson today, love that slide. Anyway, um, here are the themes and here are the lessons. The big themes uh, for today is that Our allegiance affects our choices. What we align ourselves to determines our choices. The choices we make, that characterizes our life. Big themes. Apart from God, Samson goes from great potential to something bad to something very bad. Apart from God, God's people go from bad to worse. Apart from God, a pagan culture, a secular culture... It goes from bad to extremely wicked. And yet through it all, God remains constant and in control. So we read, here an angel of the Lord comes to a woman. She said, you are going to bear a son. We find out that the son's name is Samson. But it said that in verse 5, it says, the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall shall begin to to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So Samson is one that when he is born, God said he will be a Nazarite from birth, a Nazarite vow. There are three people in scriptures that we know of that actually took this Nazarite vow. One was Samson, one was Samuel, and one was John the baptizer in the New Testament. So what is a Nazarite vow? First of all, it was completely voluntary. Okay, and it was for men or women, they could do this. In Samson's case, it wasn't voluntary. God said, I'm going to create him, and from the womb, this is what I'm going to call him to do. 
The Nazarite vow, it was voluntary. It had specific restrictions. One was that no contact with the dead, whether it's dead humans or dead animals, okay? Do not touch anything that is unclean. He was to take no wine or alcohol, and he was to refrain from cutting of hair. And it's like, why? What is this? In essence, what it was, to remain... I'm going to not touch anything that is unclean. I'm going to refrain from wine or alcohol. I'm not going to cut my hair. In essence, what these were is that these were external declarations of an internal allegiance. I'm going to remove myself from that which is unclean. Wine and alcohol were usually um, symbolized either celebration And he goes, "Uh, I'm taking this vow because my life is going to be focused on other things. And you will know me, my external declaration, the big one was that I will not cut my hair. Dude, that is some serious dreads going, you know, when you're into your 20s and 30s. That is long hair. But the idea is that when you saw this person, you would know that's someone who has taken a Nazarite vow. This is someone who is doing something significant in his own allegiance to God. And then it was for a certain period of time. There was a start and there was it. And then when it came to the end of this period of the Nazarite vow, there was, it ended with a sacrifice of significant value. Uh, the person would cut the hair, clean themselves up, it was time for not only a celebratory sacrifice, but also a sacrifice of some great significance that would end this time. So, moving on, we see here that in chapter 13, God says, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring someone. I'm going to bring someone, and he will begin to deliver the Philist, or deliver God's people from the Philistines. An angel comes, talks to the woman, talks to the husband. They're convinced, okay, we're going to have a son. At the end of chapter 13, it says this, Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. You can say, if this was a movie, I mean, come on, if this was a movie, if Judges were a movie, and all of a sudden it's like we have gone through all of this chaos, we have gone through all of this being under bondage, we have been captured, we have rebelled against God, we have suffered the consequences, we've repented and come back. There's been this downward spiral of God's people, and all of a sudden God intervenes and said, I'm going to bring someone, and he's going to be a deliverer. He's going to deliver my people from the Philistines. And then all of a sudden it says, the Spirit of the Lord is starting to move in Samuel in his local community, the Spirit of the Lord. He is now a young man, and it's like the hero is about to come. Can you imagine? This is what we've been waiting for. He's coming, and he is going to be a deliverer like the Philistines and all the Cushites, Amorites, whateverites that they have never seen before. Here it goes. The hero shows up. And in chapter 14, here's mission right now. It says, 
Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, Hey, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, go get her for me because she looks good to me. The Spirit of the Lord is working in Samson. He's going to be a deliverer. And the next thing we know is that Samson says, Hey, there's a good-looking Philistine. Mom and Dad, why don't you go get her for me? This is the rest of Samson's life. (laughs) From here on out, it is a complete and utter train wreck. Okay? Now, we sometimes laugh and we sometimes chuckle, but the reality is, is that, you know what? We have seen this hundreds of times before. Okay? Young men, listen to daddy right now. This is what happens so often. I mean, you took communion this morning. And if I were to talk to you or you were to talk to your friends, it's like, tell me about your allegiance to Jesus. It's yes, he is my Lord, he is my Savior. He has saved me. He has called me to do something. I love him. I understand what he's done for my life. I want to serve him for the rest of my life. And then you see her. She does not share that allegiance to Jesus. And yet you keep looking at her. Because there's something about her face. There's something about the way her jeans fit. There is something that has drawn your eyes to her. And then all of a sudden, you begin to develop an allegiance to her that supersedes your allegiance to Christ. And over and over and over again, as an older man, I have seen younger men make this mistake. They marry her. She does not share that allegiance. You have compromised your faith. You have compromised your walk with the Lord. And what happens is that for the rest of the life, these men live a compromised, lukewarm relationship with the Lord. They live like Samson. What started out as something so promising as a young, single man devoted to Jesus because you let your eyes and below your belt control your choices, you align yourself with someone else, and the rest of your life will be an utter train wreck. You will live a lukewarm, compromised life. Now, the Lord may intervene. The Lord may all of a sudden choose her, and her allegiance might be the Lord. That happens. But I wouldn't... I, this is where young man, please, please... Keep your allegiance to Jesus primary and central because you don't want to wind up as a gift on a sermon some Sunday morning, okay? So, so mom and dad said, hey, um, can't you just get someone, one of our ladies? And he goes, no, go get her for me. Um, Here it is. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord because he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. 
While Samson is becoming a train wreck, God is constant, and God is going to deliver his people. He's given Samson a chance to come along for the ride and enjoy something amazing. But know this, at the beginning of this story, whatever we see Samson doing, God is in control, and he is going to go against the enemies of God's people. So it goes on, it says... um, So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. He came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion comes roaring out towards him. The Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily, so that he tore it as one tears a young goat. If any torn a young goat before, I don't know. But anyway, he tears this lion. He doesn't just get it into a submission chokehold, okay? He tears... The, the word tore here means to render in two pieces. He actually, with his hands, tears this lion in half. Now, if you think that's amazing, listen. But he did not tell his father or mother what he had done. Men, if you are on your way home, and you are met by a young lion, and with nothing in your hands, you tear that in half... Is this not a significant social media post at this time? Are you going to let... It's like, what happened on the way home from work, hon? Ah, just young lion tore it in half. I got to tell somebody. But it's amazing. The Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson, and he rips this lion in half. And he just goes on his way. So he went down, and he talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. Same song, second verse, allegiance of his heart, the allegiance of his soul is now shifting because of what his eyes are looking at. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside and looked at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in it. So he goes down, he visits this woman. Now he's going to start to go back home. Um... Animal control has not come out yet, okay? There's still this torn-in-two line, roadkill, and now there's a swarm of bees somehow inside the carcass, and they've made made a honeycomb, and they're starting to make honey. And so this is what he does. He goes, um, so he scraped the, the honey into his hands and went on. He was eating it as he went. What was part of the Nazarite vow that he had in his allegiance to God, I will not touch anything that's what? Dead. And what's he doing? He's, he's rummaging around inside half of a lion carcass. What we're seeing is that compromise is leading to compromise, is leading to compromise, is leading to compromise. It is not satisfied and it just keeps on going. His, these are issues of his allegiance to God. Not small things. These are major things that he's starting to compromise on. So he scraped honey out of the lion, went on eating it. Tell me if that isn't a gag me moment. You know, I mean, can't you find something else to eat? I'm sorry. Right. Uh, then it's like, then when he came to his father and mother, he gave, gave some of it to them. I mean, this guy is violating 
the Ten Commandments every morning. I mean, aren't you supposed to honor your mother and father? Here, I got this out of the inside of a dead carcass. Eat it. Uh, but um, he did not tell him that he had scraped the honey out of the body of the lion. Yeah, I wouldn't either. Anyway, um, probably because, yeah, I went and I was rummaging around in a dead thing. For all my youth, when you raised me, remember, the Lord blessed me. And then the Spirit began to stir within him on this mission. It's now time to deliver deliver Israel from the Philistines. And so he probably knows, I'm I'm not going to tell my mom and dad. I'm going to lie to them. Compromise, compromise. And then his father went down to to the woman... Samson made a feast there for the young men, um, for the young men customarily did this. So he's going down, and what we're finding out is he actually married this woman, okay? So he marries this Philistine woman, okay? Um, God's people were not to marry foreign women, and the reason was because if men who had an allegiance to God The track record is, you marry foreign women, they bring their pagan gods and rituals into the household, you have a spiritual genetic capacity for passivity men, and you allow this to start to grow in your own household. So he's going to marry a foreign woman, he is violating statutes and commandments all over then, and now he's going to invite a bunch of young men to a wedding feast Um, and do the things that young men customarily do. What do young men customarily do at a celebration? They, they, They have like one beer, right? No. Young men at a wedding reception are going to go to excess. What is Samson in the Nazarite vow? What is he not supposed to do? No alcohol, no wine, no strong drink. Not only is he doing this, he's inviting others to do this. You see, Samson was supposed to, be, was supposed to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And what we are seeing is that what Samson is doing is he's inviting the Philistines in even more. So when it came about, they saw him, and they brought about 30 companions with him. And so Samson says, hey, let me now profound you with a riddle. If you will indeed tell me the answer to this riddle, I'll give you 30 changes of clothes. But if you can't answer it, then you give me 30 changes of clothes. There is a great book that I read many years ago, and I come back to it so often because I see it. Dr. Stephen Berglis, Harvard psychiatrist, it's called the success syndrome. And what he says in his studies, he said, when people, with their achievements, what they're trying to do, when their underlying character cannot sustain it, tragedy happens. And the tragedy is this, they will become arrogant, they will have no accountability, they will all of a sudden start reckless adventure seeking, and then they will get into adultery. 
You see this in megachurch ministries. You see this as CEOs and companies. You might see it in people in our own community, and we're seeing it now in Samson. Why in the world would all of a sudden you say, hey, let's bet 30 changes of clothes? Why? Samson just wants an adrenaline surge. He wants to take a risk. This is very risky. So they said, sure, bring it, okay? It's easy when you got 30 guys and they've drank enough and you want to challenge them to answer a riddle. I, I, get it. I can see that. Okay. So um, he said, here's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. What do you think that's referring to? It's the lion and the bees. See, out of the eater, the lion, came something to eat, honey. Out of the strong came something sweet but they could not tell the riddle after three days. So what they do is they go to his new bride because these wedding celebrations, Jewish culture, is that they would last for seven days. It was a big celebration. So after three days, they can't, they can't answer it, and so they go to his wife and they say, um, you need to find out what this is. You brought this guy into our camp. Okay, and we're going to lose to him. So uh, why don't you see if you can get the answer out of him? Because um, if you don't, we're going to burn you and your father's house with fire. I mean, this is what 30 drunk guys will do after a while. So she keeps going to him. She keeps trying to implore him. She's actually nagging. She's crying. She goes, if you love me, you would tell me. So finally, on the seventh day, he says, all right, yeah, here's the answer, Okay. So she goes and tells the guys. And so the guys say, um, well, what's sweeter than honey, Samson, and what's stronger than a lion? That's your answer, Samson. Pay up. Here is Samson's response. Young ladies, please listen to this. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would have not found out my riddle. If you had not plowed with my heifer, what guy refers to his new bride as a heifer? If you had not put stress and strain on my heifer. Young ladies, um, maybe you took communion this morning and your allegiance is to Jesus. Okay, um, And you are maybe desiring a man who has a similar allegiance to Jesus. There are way too many young men who have either no allegiance to Jesus, but they are sharp, they are hard workers, um, they can accumulate... They are well-known in their world, their allegiances to themselves. Or there's also those within the family of God. Men who, young men who have a very lukewarm allegiance to Jesus. You hook up and marry one of those guys, and you are going to all of a sudden find yourself at a very low priority as that marriage relationship goes. 
This is what men who have a shallow allegiance to God or no allegiance to God, this is how they view women or their wives. Property. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have, got, you would not have known the riddle. My encouragement to you, um, I have five daughters. I have four that are married, so I, I understand this. Um, do not lower your standards. Do not lower your expectations. Because you're saying, well, there just aren't that many guys who have that allegiance to Jesus that I'm looking for. And I would say, yes, there are. Because they see they are not like Samson. They are serious as a heart attack about their faith. Okay? Please, young ladies, wait, because it's worth it. Take a look at those married couples that are maybe 10, maybe even 50 years older than you, and you watch them and just say, I want a marriage relationship like that. I want some kind of guy like that who will not refer to me as a heifer, but will actually sacrifice, honor, cherish, and adore me. It's worth the wait. There we go. We're going to pray and close it right there. There we go. All right. We got it. All right. Uh, So, Samson owes 30... 30 changes of clothes. So now, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. Samson is compromising. Samson is willfully disobeying. Samson is risk-taking. And now he finds out, I got to owe 30 changes of clothes to these drunken guys at my uh, wedding reception. And yet the Spirit of the Lord comes on him. And you just kind of go, why? Because God is going to to deliver his people from the Philistines. And he's even going to use Samson in all of his lack of allegiance and poor choices to do it. Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon, and he killed 30 guys there and takes their clothes. And he comes back up, and he says, here's your garments. They may need a little washing, okay? Because if this is the guy that rips a lion in half with his bare hands, I have no idea what he's doing to 30 guys in the neighboring you know, suburb to bring their clothes up to these guys. Samson's angry. Wow, understatement. Samson's angry. So it says, after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it came about that Samson, because he he's left for a while. Evidently, he's left now. He's mad. He paid, his, he paid his debt. He knows that his wife was in on it. So he's going to take off for a while. But now he's going to come back. So it says, after a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it came about that Sam, Samson visited his wife with a young goat and said, I'm going to go into my wife in her room. I mean, second, or, you know, same song, third or fourth verse, okay? Um, I've been away, okay? We've been separated. Yeah, I had a blow up. I kind of yelled at people. I happened to kill 30, okay? So I'm going to go out. Got to cool off. So, um, yeah, um, it's not that he wants to come back and apologize to his wife. 
um, he's, he's developing urges again. And so he goes, oh, I wonder. Okay, here, hon, here's a young goat. Um, can we go into the bedroom? This guy has got a very primary focus in his life, him and his pleasures, okay? Okay, young ladies, bullet point here. Some guy shows up with a young goat, close the door. It's just not worth it. It's just not worth it, okay? But here it is. But her father, father says, no, you can't come in. You can't come in. Um, I thought you hated her intensely, and so I actually gave her to your best man. Would you like her younger sister instead? So Samson says, this time... I'm going to be blameless in regard to what I'm going to do to the Philistines. I can't imagine coming back and it's like, yes, I want to see my wife. And it's like, sorry, I gave her to another guy. Yeah, it was your companion, your best man. Um, I understand that you killed 30 guys down in the suburbs. Um, Would you like the younger daughter instead? Okay. This is a father full of conviction. Okay. Sarcasm button was pushed right there. Okay. So Samson goes and he catches 300 foxes, ties their tails together, puts a torch in between them, and lets them run. They're scared. They're running. Their tails are tied together. They're, they're burning on the backside. So they're running through all the crops. Remember, this is the harvest time. They go through all the standing grain. They go through all the vineyards. They go through all the groves. In essence, what Samson has done to the Philistines in this region is he has destroyed their gross domestic product. Samson has crashed the economy for the year. And the Philistines say, well, who did this? And they say, well, it was Samson. He burned the fields. So what they did is they said, get his, get his wife get her father, put him in the house, and set the house on fire. Samson's next steps have now resulted in Philistines' next steps. So Samson says, um, here's what Samson's next steps are. It said, he struck them ruthlessly with great slaughter, and he went down and then hid in the cleft in the rock, which is a cave. So Samson goes to these guys that burn the house, and it says that he struck them ruthlessly. Some of you, if you're in other, some other translations, it says he struck them leg on thigh. What kind of picture comes to your mind when Samson meets these guys and he ruthlessly slaughters them leg on thigh? It's a picture of dismemberment. I mean, he rips a lion in half, and it doesn't bother him. It's a walk in the park for him. He is ripping limbs off of people. That's a ruthless slaughter. And so he goes to check out in a cave to cool down. What happens is that the Philistines then say, we're going to bring an army, and we're going to surround Judah. We've had enough of Samson. The leaders from Judah come out and say, what are you doing? They say, "Um, we're here for Samson. Give us Samson or we're going to destroy the place. 
So Judah, Israel, gets 3,000 men, and they go to get Samson. And he goes, are you here to kill me? And he goes, no, we're here to turn you over. Previously in Judges, we've seen this pattern. Israel disobeys. They are judged. They repent, and they come back to God. Over and over. Here's where the pattern breaks. Israel disobeys. They are judged. God sends a deliverer, and they hand the deliverer over to their enemies. They would rather live under the Philistines. They would rather live under that kind of bondage. They would rather have the Philistines lord it over. And when God sends them the deliverer for them, they just say, no, I like it here instead. This is what happens to the people of God. Then we start to walk away from God. God many times will send deliverance. And we decide, no, I'd rather be here. I like it here in the pagan culture, under bondage, under captivity. So he hands them over, and when they bring him to the Philistines, this is where we have the famous picture, the famous account. He takes the jawbone of a donkey, again, unclean. And he slaughters 3,000 Philistine soldiers. And he says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have killed a thousand men. Excuse me, it's a thousand, not three thousand. Heaps upon heaps means that this is a very strategic slaughter because what he's doing is he's just not laying bodies around. He's stacking the bodies up like cords of wood. This is a very methodical, strategic, ruthless slaughter of men. And he wants to make a show of it. He stacks them up. He goes away again. That was his next step. He's thirsty. God gives him something to drink. And so now we're getting towards the end. He goes to Gaza. Chapter 16. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Do we ever learn, young men? Do we ever learn? Allegiance denied remains allegiance, de- allegiance denied. So he goes to Gaza. Gaza was like the great fortified city in the region. In fact, Gaza means strong. So the Gazites, they said, hey, Samson's come here. Let's surround the place. Let's wait, lay in wait for him all night. And then when he comes out in the morning... We'll kill him. Samson gets words of it. And what he does, he goes to the city gates. These are massive city gates. Historians and archaeologists say somewhere between 8,000 and 21,000 pounds. And it says that in the middle of the night, Samson decides he's going to leave, and he rips the doors off the hinges. He pulls them out from the posts that are securing them in the ground. And he puts them on his back and he walks through their camp. I wonder why no one wanted to raise a finger against Samson. He is carrying maybe 20,000 pounds of hardware 
the symbol of the strength of this city of might. And he's got it on his back, and it says... He put them on his shoulders, and he carried them up to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron, 40 miles away, uphill. Now, kids, if you're wondering when your parents say, you know what, when I went to school, it was always snowing, and it was uphill both ways. This is the biblical reference that we're referring to. This is why dads do this stuff. Now, you just say... Why, why would he carry this thing 40 miles? I have no idea. I mean, he should have just dropped it, shrugged his shoulders. I have no idea. But this guy was, when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, he was incredibly strong. So now we get down to where he meets Delilah. He sees Delilah. She's enticed by her. He's visiting with her. The Philistines come and said, entice him. We want to find out the secret of his strength. You know, there's nowhere in Scripture that talks about his physical appearance. There's nothing in Scripture that says that this guy looks like, you know, hey, three-day weights, three-day cardio, all high protein. There's nothing. Because they're saying, Delilah, find out what is the source of his strength. Because when he did these amazing things, it always said that the Spirit of the Lord came out. I think Samson was an ordinary guy. Just an ordinary looking guy. But when the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, ordinary guy except with hair down to probably his waist, but the Spirit of the Lord was what was doing this, not Samson. So Delilah says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how may we uh, how may you be bound to afflict you? Young men, if you're on a first date, second date, and she says, you know, how can you be bound so we can afflict you? This is a time. So you know what? Pay the, pay the bill and say, here's, here's money for an Uber. I'm out of here. Samson, again, an adventurous, unnecessary risk taker. He knows what she's about. And so they do the things, oh, you know, take a couple of these cords, bind my hands, and then I'll lose my strength. So she does, and then he's asleep. And goes, Samson, the Philistines are here. And he snaps them. And then they say, oh, never mind. We're going to go back out. And she says, you know, you're lying to me. And he goes, yeah, I know. If you would take like two ropes that have never been used before, that's it. And so she does it. And again, same song, second verse. He's sleeping. Samson, the Philistines are here. And so he snaps it like it's a string. He goes... Why do you lie to me? You know, don't you love me? He goes, okay, this is what it is. You know, if you would weave my hair, seven different areas, put a pin in it. He's getting dangerously close because he's touched dead things. He's partied with alcohol, and now he's getting close to the last part. Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and so, you know, takes it off. They leave, and so finally it's the part. He goes, yeah, shave my head. Falls asleep. She shaves his head. He said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he woke from his sleep and he said, I'm going to go out as at other times and I will shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. That was Samson's strength. He did not know that the Lord had departed. Remember last week... In the sermon, it said, 
Israel had gotten into all this trouble, and God said, um, following these pagan gods got you into this place? Why don't you see if they can get them out? Because as for me, as God, I'm done here. I'm done here. So Samson was seized, and immediately they gouged his eyes out. Many of you are familiar. They brought him into the temple. said, now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God. And they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands, even the destroyer of our country who has slain many of us. And then they're saying, our God, Dagon, <laughs> he's better than Samson's God because ultimately we win. Um, this is Dagon, the fish God, okay? Um, looks pretty harmless. You just say, people want to worship that. They're stupid. They're juvenile. They're not thinking. You know, it's a pretty silly thing. Uh, how, how harmful is that? Uh, you see, when a culture wants to continue to move away from God, it does not get better. You see, because Dagon is the father of Baal. And we read a lot about Baal and Molech worship in the Old Testament. Uh, Baal, it was a hot furnace, and what it would do is require a sacrifice of your firstborn. And so the parents would bring their firstborn, and they would lay their child onto those glowing, hot stone hands. Historians also say, yes, they would also take human excrement and put it up there. And so in the sounds of screaming children and the smell of burning excrement, now is the time to take off your clothes and have rampant sexual debauchery, sex with other people, group sex, homosexual sex, pedophile sex. What we see... You see, there's nothing, I say, gosh, that's barbaric. There is nothing new under the sun. There's only new people who are under the sun for the first time. Because the way that the demonic wants to work goes for the children. It wants to kill the kids, and it wants to have unfettered sexual debauchery. That is where sin left unchecked when God said, go, follow your own ways, go. This is where it leads to. And child sacrifice and unrampant sexual perversion and a target on our children, still alive. Well, we know that Samson at the end, he says, Lord, please avenge me for what they did to my eyes. Please avenge me. It's like, dude, you still don't get it. But the Spirit of the Lord was gracious, and God said, I am going to take care of the Philistines. And Samson pulled out the pillars, the linchpins, and everyone there, 3,000 had died. 3,000 of the Philistines had died. 
Spirit of the Lord at the beginning started to stir him where he lived. So much wasted potential. So much wasted potential. Maybe you've picked up something as you've listened to the the account of Samson. An angel announced to his parents that they would have a son. An angel announced to Mary that she would have a son. This son would begin to deliver Israel from the Philistines. This one would deliver us from our sins. We don't know much of Samson's early years. We don't know much of Jesus' early years. But when Samson came on, he did great feats of of strength and miracles, and so did Jesus. Samson took a Nazarite vow. Jesus had a vow to come and do the Father's will. Samson lived a life of continual compromise, and yet Jesus lived a life of no sin. Samson's life ended, his Nazarite vow ended with a great sacrifice. He was buried with others, and he's an example of a lukewarm allegiance to God. Jesus ended his vow when he said it was finished and he died on the cross and he was buried, and yet he rose again, victorious over sin, hell, and death. He defeated our greatest enemy, not just the Philistines, and he will come again to defeat all of his enemies. For me, I always think, what if? What if Samson had, what if Samson had kept his allegiance? What would chapters 14, 15, and 16 and the rest of Judges be like? So much potential. And yet, what a waste. So what about us? What if the Spirit of the Lord began to stir them in the corridor between Cedar Rapids and Iowa City? What would happen? What would happen? When Jesus said, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to send someone else. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's just like me. He told his disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall be my witnesses in both Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. You will receive power, strength, power, ability, power to perform miracles and say, uh, I've not done any miracles. God's still doing them, but God's also changing lives to show moral power and excellence of soul, power and influence. You will be my witnesses, Martus. From a legal and historical sense, it means a spectator. From an ethical sense, it means those who offer his example have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ even unto a violent death. And it's like, uh, I'm not interested in dying. I understand that. How about if you get interested in living? Something of great and genuine of your faith. You shall, be, you shall receive power. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be on a mission. Mm-hmm. I've seen people do this hundreds and thousands of times. When it comes to being on a mission, you see, if you can't define what your mission is, how can you pursue it? If you don't know what God's calling you to, how do you know if you're on track or you can accomplish it? Here's my encouragement, brothers and sisters. Define your mission. What is God calling you to do? If you are married, you do have a spouse and you are on mission. If you have kids, you are on mission, dad and mom. 
If you're at school or you're in occupation, you are on mission. If you're in a significant relationship, you're on mission. And what you need to do is just like very ordinary people that God uses, is that you need to ask that his power would come in and do what he does in these places and with these people. Do not be like Samson, who seems to be just going through the motions, like so many Christians. Do not be the lukewarm one who says, I got this. Why don't you be the one who says when they start their morning, God, I need your power for this relationship, for this household, for this occupation. What if every time when you show up to work, you would say, God, I need your power now for this. God, I'm going home to a spouse and some children. I need your power now. The scriptures say, be continually always filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, our allegiance, it determines our choices. That determines outcomes. That determines a life. It all starts with our allegiance that greatly affects what our next steps will be. They can be in power so that we can be his witnesses in wherever he sends us to go. Define your mission. Seek God. Do not be lukewarm. There is an abundant life that God has for us. We must seek him. If you're interested in your next steps, if you need to learn about grace, you want someone to pray with you, we're going to have people down here to pray. What will be your significant next step? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, like the Philistines, this area of the corridor, child sacrifice, child, uh, sexual perversion, lukewarm Christians, um, Lord, would you change us? May we repent of that and understand that you want to do something magnificent, impactful and powerful. So we ask for your power. We ask that you would help us to understand and see clearly the missions that you've called us to do and prepared us for so that we can walk in them to see what you want to do. And we find out, Lord, that the person that's impacted and influenced the most may just be ourselves. Thank you for the abundant life that you give. Use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in grace.